Well, here we are in the Sabbath, falls between trumpets and atonement, in the midst of the fall holy days. Beautiful day outside. It's a wonderful place to be. Wonderful time to be here. Why are we here? Why are we here? You know, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong used to ask that often during the holy days, or maybe on a Sabbath. When he did, he would turn to Leviticus chapter 23 or Exodus 20, read the commandment that told us why we were there. We were there to obey God at that time as we are today. Why are you here? I mean, why are you here today specifically in this place? Turn, if you would, please, to Hebrews 10, 24 through 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. Sometimes we only read verse 25, but I think that the two verses on either side of this are important as well. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We come together here and we encourage one another. We encourage one another in love. We encourage one another in good works. And then verse 25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. So we don't forsake assembling ourselves together. We come here. This is the manner of some is, you know, they go off and they stay at home or they don't assemble together. That was a problem Back in the first century, would we find that problem around the church today? Sure we would. He says, don't do that, but exhorting one another. We come together in love and support to exhort one another. I saw it everywhere when I walked in today. People standing around, speaking to each other in love, encouraging one another. It's just wonderful to see. And so much as more as we see the day approaching. We don't know exactly the day, but we can see it approaching. It says so here. In verse 26, it gives us a warning here. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. These things are connected. We come here, we encourage one another, we support one another to keep from falling away, to hold on and to overcome to the end. It's important that we assemble together and be here together in this place. So we've got a good reason for being here. We're commanded to be here, a commanded assembly. We don't forsake it. But, you know, we have many other reasons for being here as well, not just the, the strong basic uh, reasons that I just mentioned, but we have a lot of reasons, each one of us. We have personal reasons. We have subjective reasons. Some of these reasons strongly influence. Some may only weakly influence us, and some may be good reasons. Some may be, you know, not so good reasons why we all come here together. People have primary reasons. We've got the big main reasons, and we've got some secondary and tertiary reasons down the road that, you know, farther down in our priorities. Today I would like to discuss some of the reasons why we are here, apart from the commandments, apart from the big basic reasons. You know, different people will have different reasons. Sometimes we understand them well, and sometimes we don't understand them well. We need to think about them and understand them. Some will have the same reasons as others, but one reason will be predominant. It will be a higher priority than another person will have. Different priorities. We have reasons for what we do. What are yours? Have you thought about it? What are all your reasons for doing what you're doing? You know, a good, a good uh, scripture to meditate on sometime is mentioned several times in the Bible, Genesis 6, 5, 1 Chronicles 28, 9. Same thing is said. God knows the real reasons. He knows the intents of the thought of the heart. The intents of the thoughts of the heart. Everything right down into your very being, he knows and understands it. We live and move and have our being in him, just trying to understand how thoroughly God knows us and understands us is something we need to do. God knows the real reasons, and he may allow a weak reason to be tested. If you've got some weak reasons that are predominating, why are you here? Why am I here? 
I'd like to talk about that some today and some other things as well. Why do some people leave our fellowship or maybe leave the church as a whole? I've been in the ministry for, for many years, over two decades. Well, people do that for many reasons, and some because they lose their main reason for being here. So being here for the right reasons is very important, wouldn't you think? We need to be here for the right reasons. And maybe when we have a doctrinal issue or a personal offense and offenses happen, come on, we all get the foot and mouth disease sometimes, don't we? We have to go back and apologize. The worst thing is you say something wrong and you never find out about it and someone is offended. We all worry about that sometimes. But uh, if we have the right reasons, then those reasons can get us through uh, the times that we need to, uh, to overcome those difficult times. Get us through a trial. So today, let's look at our reasons and hopefully strengthen our reasons by prioritizing the right ones and being aware and careful of the weak ones, or maybe even the wrong ones. We all need all the understanding we can get in order to make it through the end of this age and into the time that these fall holy days picture. And boy, the times are changing, aren't they? There used to be a uh, saying back in the 60s, the times they are a-changing. Well, the times they are a-speeding up, so it seems. So Roman numeral number one, main heading here, going to be several subtopics under this, but Roman number, numeral number one, for instance, for example, here are some okay but maybe not the best reasons that people have for attending here. Just some of the reasons, some examples of the right that there might be. Number one under that. To avoid the tribulation. That's a reason for me. I don't know about you, but that's one of my reasons. The tribulation is going to be a terrible time, and if we stay, I stay close to the church and I stay close to the fellowship, I hope that I will be protected in a place of safety. But, you know, I remember uh, that sometimes attendance used to go up after some scary international event. I mean, the attendance would go up by, you know, a dozen people or more that would come, and it would run a little bit higher for a while. And then maybe after things calmed down internationally, the attendance would drop back down to its usual level. Or um, there used to be a fellow that I wouldn't see for a couple of years. And then that something bad would happen internationally. There he would be. He would walk in, you know, and he'd be there for two or three Sabbaths, and then he, we wouldn't see him for a while. Some people think that they'll come when events start to accelerate. When things really get going and they see the, the, uh, you know, the beast power rise and everything, oh, boy, I'm going to be back. I keep the Sabbath, the holy days and everything. I'm going to be back in the church at that time. I won't be staying at home. You know, I'm, I remember that there used to be a scene, you see it sometimes in a movie. And, you know, the hero is, is standing on the, on the dock by a, a train. You know, the train is there, and he's saying goodbye. If they're having their dialogue to this young lady or something. And the train starts pulling out, and she says, the train's leaving. He says, yes, yes, or whatever, and they talk. For a little. And then he runs and jumps up on the th- um, train and catches the car just as it pulls out of the station, and he leaves and waves goodbye. You, you remember that scene. <laughs> Some people think they're going to do that to the church. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because these things come very quickly, like a thief in the night, brother, and, and God isn't mocked. So to avoid the tribulation, well, that's a good reason, but maybe we have to be careful that it's not our main reason. We're not going to outsmart God. Point number two, this is a good one, being a Philadelphian. Being a Philadelphian, I mean, uh, I really want to be among brethren that have that Philadelphian spirit. I think that's very, very important to do that. And maybe some people think, well, I want to, I'm going to be right in this fellowship just for that reason, because I'm a Philadelphian. I want to be among Philadelphians. Well, what if you have a small doctrinal disagreement? Maybe you think, I'm more Philadelphian than thou. You know, occasionally we run across people like that. Maybe you see some Laodicean attitudes. 
around the church. Well, there are some, and Dr. Meredith warns us against those a lot. Don't get that sort of attitude. You know, Mr. Armstrong used to say from time to time, he said, sometimes I think half of you are Laodiceans. Look at the person next to you. It's probably a Laodicean. People will go. <laughs> but uh, he was probably generous in his assessment. Maybe you see some Laodicean attitudes and that bothers you. Maybe you think that somehow we're moving away one iota from a policy that uh, Mr. Uh, Armstrong had. Turn, if you would, please, to Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Let's just talk about them. Because we want to be like these people. Everyone should be this way. But let's look at it a little more thoroughly. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things say he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, that means government, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Open door. That's a sign of the work throughout. We're not going to go into that in great detail, but I think many of you remember that. I know your works, he says. See, I have set before you an open door, an open door to do a work a worldwide work, and it's being done, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. We are holding on to the faith once delivered. We have God's truth, and it's bolted down. It's not going anywhere. We have these things, the truth and the work. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I, he says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I come quickly, going to come soon to this church. Hold fast what you have. Overcome. Hold on to it. Let no man take your crown. Someone's going to try. Someone is going to try to take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no more go out. We've always interpreted that to mean governmental, because these people understand government, as we heard in the sermon today. It's very important. Truth, the work, government. Personally, sometimes I'm, I think we're going to find out one of these days that the, a characteristic of a true Philadelphian was that he didn't go around calling everybody else Laodiceans. He's too busy doing the truth and the work. Uh, I just um, think that these are important characteristics that we need to keep in mind. Dr. Meredith has made some very balanced statements on this matter, that we are in the Laodicean era now, that under Mr. Armstrong, they certainly had um, the Philadelphian spirit that uh, and during that time, and that that has carried forward into today. I do believe that when I come here, I'm among people who have that spirit, and I certainly like to be here, and I uh, love to come here and find it. But it is Christ who will protect his people from the tribulation. I will keep you, he said. Do you enjoy thinking you're a Philadelphian and others aren't? Hmm? A prideful person can be easily deceived. A prideful person can be. I like to liken pride to a sort of a handle that Satan has on someone. Do you know how um, uh, judo works? Judo is, is, is a martial art whereby a smaller person can throw a much larger, stronger person. The way they do it, they don't push the person back. When the larger person comes at the smaller one, he doesn't push. He pulls him in the direction he's going. He grabs him by the something article of clothes. He needs a handle and pulls him in the direction he's already going. That makes the person off balance. And then... Down he goes. That's judo. Well, Satan has a form of judo. He could take a person who is strong but prideful, grabs that handle of pride, pulls him in the direction he's going, gets him a little off balance, and down he goes. Down he goes. Just remember, we want to keep that spirit, but a prideful person can be easily deceived. Third one, here's another example. I like this one. To avoid the lake of fire. I don't know about you, 
But I want to do that. And one of the reasons I'm faithful, because I know if I fall away, there's no more sacrifice for my sins, as I read before. I could be in that lake of fire. So, and Jesus also said in Matthew 10:24, fear him who is able to destroy the whole person, to destroy you completely in Gehenna. Surely we should. But some people have this real fear constantly, and they act on it. We should, but should it be our primary reason for being in church? You know, there's always some fellow out there who will um, tell someone motivated primarily by that fear that if they aren't in his organization and paying tithes to guess who, that they're going to wind up guess where. I've heard that before, and sometimes people are frightened into doing that. Why shouldn't this be your main reason? Well, there's something called the probability of catastrophe. That means that someone will act on a very small probability if the occurrence of it will cause a great catastrophe. For instance, uh, right after I got married, began to have children, I bought insurance. I was healthy as I could be. But I didn't think I was going to die, but I bought a life insurance policy because if something were to happen to me, very unlikely, but if it did, there would be a financial catastrophe for my family. How would they be supported? So people will do such things if, you know, if um, there's even on very low probabilities. For centuries, people went to church because of the mere possibility of eternal torture in hell. You know, a lot of the great cathedrals in Europe were built by people with guilty consciences. You ever heard of indulgences? If you went out and and committed all kinds of sins, you would come back in and pay an indulgence, you know, and you sort of buy things off. Some of the greatest cathedrals in Europe, block by block, virtually are built on the sins of parishioners that lived in the day of its construction. If avoiding the lake of fire is a big motivation for you, any doubt anyone can raise might motivate you to do something that you shouldn't. See the examples of the sorts of things I'm talking about. These are all reasons that we have and should have, but if they get to be too high up and it becomes unbalanced, well, that's not good for you. Number four, here's one, to get salvation. Now, normally that's a good motivation, very good motivation. It is certainly, uh, I certainly want to be resurrected to immortality. But back in the late 1980s and the early 90s, some people grudgingly attended church only because they had to or they thought they had to just in to get into the kingdom. They thought they were kind of paying their dues when they, when they kept the Sabbath and they were earning it somehow. Well, of course, it's true, it's true that God does require us to obey his commandments, at the very least in the beginning, because we have to repent of breaking them. That's what we were doing when God called us. But some people, you know, they were into this thing of legalism. When someone told them that they didn't have to keep God's commands, then they were delighted. They were told they were inoperative. The commandments are inoperative, and that is still going around some. I, I remember one, it just astonished me. Absolute. The man had been in church for years. This is going back to our former association. I was talking with a, with a man who had been convinced that he didn't have to keep the Sabbath anymore during the time of the apostasy. I said, what could you possibly be saying that you, you don't, you're not keeping the Sabbath anymore? And he said, no, no, it was, it's always been such a burden for me. I'm, I'm, and now I know that I don't have to carry that burden anymore. I was flabbergasted. I was, I was astonished. He thought that God's holy time was a burden, that sanctifying the Sabbath for him, it, well, for me, it's a delight, a wonderful delight to be in the midst of God's holy time and to keep it holy, and we do that. We're happy to be able to, doing it, to be doing it. But uh, for him, for some reason, it had been a burden. He was doing it out of an, an obligation, and he thought he had to do that somehow in order uh, to save himself. He likely was really was a legalist. Get, get, get. But God's people obey him from the heart, and we keep his commandments because we like them. We want to do those things. I'd like to live in God's government way of life forever. What a wonderful way and a way of life that would be. 
God's people obey him from the, part of the heart. But this man and others like him, they left our faith. You know, the, the legalists didn't stay in the church like they thought. The legalists left. God took them out. They're gone. Maybe they never had our faith. But we need to be here for the right reasons. We certainly do. Number five, social reasons. Now, often these are very good reasons. I, I think coming here to be with the brethren is a tremendous reason to do that. And turn to John 15, verses 12 and verse 17. These are often very good reasons. We love to be together. We love to support and encourage one another. We get together sometimes at the church and talk, 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 and oh boy, look how late it's gotten. We're having a wonderful time together. John chapter 15, verses 12 and verse 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And we do. That's a big, important reason for being here. It sure is for me, and I hope it is for you. But sometimes people say, well, why did you go to a particular fellowship? Well, to be with my friends. That's my, my main reason for being there. I'm being to be with my friends. I remember someone I was talking to. I said, why did you go to that particular group? You know, they're way off doctrinally and got some real problems. And, well, my friends are all there. I wanted to be with them. What if the friends leave? What if the friendship ends? Well, you are my friends and my brothers, and I'm here. It's very important for me to be here with you. But should that be our primary first reason? If something happens to the reason, happens to the friendship, you're offended, I'm out of here, going somewhere else. Of course not. We wouldn't want it to be that way. I remember one time a, a young lady, and this is another thing that ama amazed me, came into the church, she would, had some serious illnesses, and she had two dramatic healings, things that cannot be explained medically just as she was coming into the church and being baptized. It was a remarkable thing. But, you know, a couple of years later, she left. And I called her up and asked her, why, why do you not want to attend with us anymore? And she said, well, I just don't feel I'm being fulfilled emotionally. I'd never heard that before. I mean, I don't come here for emotional fulfillment. And granted, she was emotionally needy in many ways. But that was turned out to be her main reason. We have such a loving environment in the church that when she wasn't being fulfilled emotionally later, she quit and went somewhere else. That was an astonishing thing. Another is a loving environment. Well, that's very important to me, too. We have a very loving environment here. We should keep it and build it and keep it going as much as we can. A very loving environment. What if you're offended? What happens? Well, I'm out of here then. Be sure not to offend me. I've got to have in a loving environment. That's my first reason, primary reason. If I'm not feeling the love, gone. Hope you're not that way. Of course not. That's your main reason for being here. You may leave. But if in priority it's not your primary reason and you're here and there's an offense, which they come, yes, they do, they do happen in God's church, then you'll stick it out until the conflict is resolved. It needs to be in its place. It needs to be in the right priority. Matthew 29, 9 and 10. Matthew chapter 29, 9 and 10. I'm sorry, Matthew 24, rather. Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 and 10. You know, the, the times, according to Jesus Christ, are going to get rough in the church. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended, offended, and will betray one another and will hate one another in the church. Listen to this. How do you handle offenses? How do you handle offenses? How do you handle hurt feelings? Well, go to. 
Go to God in prayer, big number one. Father, help me to handle this. Open my eyes, open my heart, and help me to deal with this in a right way. Go to the person involved, talk to them. A lot of times, they don't have a clue. They had no idea. But if they do and it's not resolved, then go to the minister and settle it. But don't let a root of bitterness grow. It takes time, it goes deep, and it's hard to get out once that happens. They're hard to dig out. If the main reason you're here is social... What if you're offended? What if a good friend moves away? Should social reasons be your primary reason? They are for some reason, for some people who are not with us. They should be, perhaps, but they are not. Number six. Oh, here's a good one. Intellectual stimulation. I like this one. I enjoy something that really just, I look down and hear a sermon and, and see something new in God's Word. I said, wow, that's wonderful. I just love that new understanding that we got. This can be either a problem or an opportunity. Here's the, the problem. I once heard a person say at the feast, this was a long time ago, that was a boring sermon. I've heard all that before. It's just the same thing we always hear at the feast. It's boring. Well, come on, it's meat in due season. You want to know what we're going to have at my house on Thanksgiving? I already know. Turkey. And we're going to have my, my wife's delicious crushed cranberries, uh, cranberry sauce. I love that. And I'm, I'm hoping for the squash casserole, maybe, too. But I... I want the same thing every Thanksgiving because that's what we eat on Thanksgiving. And you know what we eat at the feast, what we eat on the Feast of Trumpets, the spiritual food, what we're going to eat on the Day of Atonement, the meaning of those days. We need to hear it every year. We're told to do it. We're told to have meat in due season. And it's the same meat on the same season. That's what. So uh, the, the man was, was just wrong. I, it was an amazing thing that, that he said that. Acts 17, 18 through 21. Acts chapter 17, 18 through 21. You know, the, the Internet is, gives a lot of, of opportunities for people, both problems and opportunities, for people who just maybe don't value the truth that they have as much as they should. And I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and listen to Paul debate these philosophers. It must have been something. Verse 18, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these are two schools of Greek philosophy, encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. To philosophers, I mean, you might have been, never mind, but 19. And they took him and brought him up to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak, but you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. Verse 21. For all the Athenians and all the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell or hear some new thing. That's what they wanted to hear. They always had to have some new thing. And, you know, the, there are people who are always out on the Internet, people in the church. They're always looking for some new thing, some new thing that's going to maybe contradict what we believe or somebody who's got some other ideas. You know, I'm convinced that people who do that, and I've seen people who've done it before, and a lot of times they wind up in spiritual trouble. They do it because they don't value the truth they've got. We've got the truth. We've got it right here. It's been taught in the church for decades. We are to hold on to it, contend for that truth. On the other hand, Paul said that we are to grow in knowledge. It's not that we hear it one time and we never grow. We add truth as deeper understanding. We add knowledge. We don't take it away here in the church. Uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul constantly talked about this theme of the importance of us growing in knowledge and understanding. And we do in the church, both in here in the, the sermons and the sermonettes, and also in our personal study and reading the things that the church produces. 
Be sure to read the Living Church News. Be sure to read the, the Tomorrow's World. Read these things carefully. A lot of very useful spiritual food there that we all need to be doing, need to be taking. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being fulfilled, being filled, rather, with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Knowledge and all discernment, and it leads to those things he's talking about. Romans 15, chapter 14. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. Once again, Paul tells us, don't just be a little, taste a little bit of knowledge here, or a little dab here, or a little dab there. We're to be filled with it. Sometimes people perish for a lack of knowledge. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to admonish one another. You know, we, some people stand around and they talk about scriptures and they talk about some of the things that they've been reading and studying. That's good. We need to learn all of those things. We're going to need the information. Acts chapter 20. Verse 27, Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. This ought to be a memory scripture. It's important for us to remember we've got the whole truth here. We've got God's truth. There is no such thing as progressive revelation. You know what that is? That's when our uh, friends in traditional Christianity, and particularly in Catholicism, say that after the time of the first century, there was more revelation, progressive revelation, something like immortality of the soul and the Sabbath and going to heaven and not the kingdom of God. All of those things were progressively revealed, and they all contradict God's word. We don't believe that. Verse 27 For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He told them all. Told them all. And we are to grow in our knowledge and understanding of that. And then Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 3 says, Earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. We have the whole counsel of God. Contend for it. Because you're going to have to. You can read about the contentions of the difficulties that they had even in the first century. People came in and tried to take it away, tried to steal their crowns, tried to steal what they knew. Sometimes I've seen people get all messed up just because they hadn't studied. They didn't read things well enough or look into their Bibles and they got pulled away or fooled or deceived by someone. You had to go and try to help them and back them off of some mistaken idea that they shouldn't have had in the first place. God instructs us in what we need to know to deal with the situations we encounter in life. He reveals the necessary knowledge that we need to live and to overcome to the end. But we have to take that knowledge and hold on to it. Here's one difference. Intellectual stimulation and spiritual growth just aren't the same thing. Um, Knowledge is useful to the extent that it produces spiritual growth or arms us to deal with the attacks that occur on our faith. Remember that Christ, in, in his temptation, Satan tried to talk him out of his Crown Try to talk him out in, into sinning and try to talk him out of his crown. He'll try to talk you out of yours too. Hold fast. Let no man take your crown. Satan's going to try to do that. We are to always be able to give an answer for the faith that is in us. But spiritual growth is many things, but it results in a change in our hearts and our character. I've seen people who were like sponges. They had tremendous Tremendous spiritual knowledge, biblical knowledge. They could, you know, recite scriptures and all kinds of things. They were just extremely bright people, but were virtually unconverted. They never advanced. They never took it in, internalized it, never became personally invested in that truth. It was an intellectual exercise to them. God's truth should change our hearts and our character, and knowledge should contribute to that profit 
process, rather, not distract from it. So these, as important as growing in knowledge is, you know, what if, say, the ministry, ministry starts preaching some very, very basic things because we have so many new people? Will you be like, oh, that was a dull sermon, or I need to go someplace where I can get intellectual stimulation? Well, knowledge is important. Knowledge is important. But there are other reasons that we are here. Number seven, number seven, a particular minister can be important. A particular minister can be. And I've had over the years in the church several um, excellent ones that have helped me and um, even mentored me in the ministry. We have um, excellent ministers here. God provides spiritual services to his children through his true ministers and those who serve under those ministers. We have sermons, sermonettes, counseling, all of those things. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. My former congregations down in Florida could probably recite these scriptures from memory in their sleep. They heard it so often from me. But it's something that we, um, we need to remember. And he himself, verse 11 gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That shows a ranking of these offices. For the equipping of the saints, he gives a list of things. First, he gives the offices. These are offices of service. Brethren need things. And then he gives what they do. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then here's the result, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness with they which lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint supplies, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And he does all of this through offices of service in the church. This knowledge, brethren, has been lost by some other fellowships. They are offices that God sets, and he does specific things through them, and he says so right here. They're important. And if you are not aware of that, you may miss these very services that Christ will provide. An example, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Ministers and a particular one can be very important to us, but don't forget that Christ works through the office that that person is in, and he puts one person in one office to do one job. So if he moves a minister from one place to another, then he's going to work through the next minister that he puts in that office. It is Christ who does the works. Christ does the works. Here's an example. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, Here's Paul instructing Timothy, the living and the dead, at his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because uh, they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Oh, I'm glad they didn't have the Internet back then. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. We have evangelists here. It says, fulfill their ministry. He was an evangelist. We have Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, Dr. Winnale, Mr. Western, Mr. Tyler. They are evangelists. They do the work of an evangelist. That's when I, uh, long ago, back in the global days, that's one of the things I looked around for, for the work that God would be performing. Having a minister that you love and appreciate is very important. But is it your main reason for being here? 
You know, in the world, people go shopping. They go from church to church, and they say, oh, I don't like this minister. I like this one a little better. You know, these are equal. Flip a coin and decide where to go to church. I mean, they, they go just for the personality of a particular minister that they like. What if there were no minister here? What if there were no minister? You know, maybe we had mostly video sermons. We have churches, we have brethren, particularly international areas, that have no minister or rarely see them. Oh, maybe a minister you don't particularly like. Oh, not that. I'm out of here. That happens. i got to like the minister. and You know, we got to get along with personally. I hope you're not that way. I'm sure you're not. Maybe he's not a dynamic speaker or too dynamic. Who knows? But what if there were no minister? What if there were no minister? You know, uh, down in, in, in Argentina and Chile, some of the churches in South America, other places, they only see their ministers rarely, maybe a, a couple of times a year. We have um, our brethren in Africa, in Guyana, in South America. Uh, they sometimes would go for years without seeing a minister. And then when the minister does go there, he has to, you know, fly into an area back in the hinterlands and then take a bumpy ride up through the bad roads and then walk a ways before he can get to where 40, 50, 60 brethren are. And they're all happy and excited. A minister's coming. A minister's coming. Why are they here? Why are they with us, brethren? The truth, the work, the bond of love. That's why they're here. Keeps them here, just like it does us. What if you only had videos? Would you still, what if you didn't have videos at all? I don't think they have videos in Guyana. Would you still be here? Why? Why not? Interesting question to ask. I'm sure you're not here today just because of me, and I hope even more that you're not here in spite of me. (laughs) But just remember, God works through offices, offices. He puts a man in that office, then he works through that. He could run an entire work through one man as he did through uh, Moses. The office of a pastor is that they do many things that Christ knows that we need, and maybe things we don't even know, Christ, but Christ knows that we do need them. Number eight, number eight, we might talk about church culture just briefly. I'll try to go through these next one a little quicker. You know, some have left in past years because they liked the music and the liturgy of their youth. Um, maybe it was more reserved, maybe it was a little livelier, um, you know, maybe they had praise music, or maybe it was they went to an Anglican or Episcopal or a Catholic church, and they liked that better. Some people may be uncomfortable not using the old purple hymnal or the gray one or the one that preceded that. I don't know. We have a wonderful, respectful way of coming before God to worship. It's our church culture, and we do love to do it. But, and I don't expect it to change, but what if it did? What if it did? Oh, I'm out of here. No, we're not. We're here because we're going to, um, uh, for all of the reasons that I've talked about earlier. But what is the most important thing to you? The comfort of our form of service. Well, this is important to me, but it's not my first reason for being here. You see the sorts of things that we can have. We have many different reasons. Sometimes we don't even think about them. Number nine, how about organizational advancement? I'm going to be in that. I hope to advance organizationally. I hope to get a higher office or a higher rank. And that's been a problem for some ministers in the past years. Acts 20, 29, and 30 says, Grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock. And from yourselves men shall arise, saying all kinds of things, all kinds of accusations, pulling people away, trying to get their own group, following, getting disciples to follow after them. Don't follow them. Don't follow that. Um, and be very careful about envy of organizational advancement. Ten, turmoil can be very upsetting. So stability is very important to people. It is to me. 
And we are in very stable times in the church right now. We're in an extended, stable period. It's wonderful. It hasn't always been that way, though. In Luke 21, 16 through 17, Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 17. I can remember a long time ago, back when there was some great difficulties of the church during the apostasy, that one lady didn't attend for a long time, and I asked her why, and she said, well, I just needed to be in a quiet place. Not all the tension and not all the worries of the things that were going on. I understand. I understand. But times are coming when this is not going to be a quiet place. Verse 16. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Wow. Those times are coming on the church. They're just, it's hard to imagine, given the love and fellowship that we have here. But those times are coming. Acts 20, 29 through 31. I read this briefly, but I'd like before, but I'd like to read it again. Acts 20, 29 through 31. It says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You know, if your first priority, big number one, is comfort and stability, the end-time living church of God may not be the place for you. This could be a very lively place in coming years as persecution comes on the church, as Jesus Christ said that it surely will. Acts 2 Acts 2, beginning in verse 37. Here we'll begin Roman numeral number 2. Roman numeral number 2, and we'll go through this one a little more quickly. What are some primary reasons for being here? We talked about some that might be some secondary and Tertiary reasons. Well, what are some of the primary reasons for being here? Acts 2, 37 and 38. Memory scripture for many people. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You did that. If you've been baptized, you went through that process, and uh, that's a really good big start in your reasons, primary reasons for being here. Matthew 6.33 tells us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's another good big primary reason for being here. We are seeking the kingdom of God. Here are three ways to express that commitment. You're committed to that. There may be a number of ways you can express it, but let me give you three right here under this category, second category. The first one would be obedience to God. You're expressing your commitment to the kingdom of God by obeying God. If you're in his system, he is going to bring you through. This is a happy duty to members of God's family. Is the Sabbath a burden to you? Of course it's not. You delight in the holiness of the Sabbath, as we are told to do in Isaiah 58. We delight in its sanctity. We love it. This is wonderful that we have it here. We keep the Sabbath. We keep God's holy days. We keep his commandments from the heart. Second, The truth is taught here. The truth is taught here. You know, previous eras of the church may not have had all the understanding that we've had now. Maybe the people couldn't even read. They likely would have been illiterate in um, some of the times of the Middle Ages. But God said that he would restore all things, and he's done that. It is extremely valuable that he has. Ephesians 6, 14 and 15. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It tells us, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We gird ourselves with it. We put it on. We tie ourselves up with it. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 and 14. We could go many scriptures about this, but just to point out a couple of them here, how important it is, the truth that we have. Verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You are sanctified by that Spirit, that wonderful, precious Spirit of God when you have the hands laid on you after your baptism, and belief in the truth. But if you don't hold on to it, if we're not learning it and growing in it, if we don't think that it's a precious thing, we can lose it. And the truth has been challenged in our time as it was in ancient times. It is precious to us. We have the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. You know, in some groups, it's... Often what you don't hear, maybe you won't hear the American and Britain in prophecy taught. Maybe you will not hear the God is a family doctrine. Maybe it will be changed a little bit to God has a family. People don't know the difference. They don't know what they're missing. Maybe um, it will be uh, something you'll never hear the church errors taught. Maybe they will never teach about offices of service in the church that God puts people into, as we talked just now, or born again. Maybe they're a little off on that and have some odd ideas about it. Sometimes people don't know what they're not hearing. You know, Dr. Meredith isn't letting go of the truth. It's one of the things that so important impressed me so much years ago when I first came here, that it's bolted down. We're staying with it, and the people he surrounds himself with it are staying with it, too. We can be confident that the truth is staying here. We have God's truth. What's more valuable to you than that? The truth of God, through which that and the sanctification of spirit, the spirit. He is calling us through those things. Anything in the long list of lesser reasons for being here, are those things more important to you? These are big Chief, way up at the top, top of the list, important reasons that we are here. The third one, the work of God, the work of God. We read earlier about the body whole being, being uh, fitly framed together and functional in a, in a way. We've got the fingers and the hands and the arms and the ears and the feet and the legs and all of these things that the body of Christ uses Christ uses in his body to do the work. He does it for us. He's training us for the kingdom of God. Christ works and his body works also. The work of the church keeps going on. It doesn't stop until right up to the end when no man, the night comes and no man can work. But the work is still going on. It's important. People are still being baptized. People are still being called. People are still being changed. We are growing and developing. He's preparing his church for the things that will come. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. I'd like to read that again. Read it just a moment ago, a little bit ago. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. In all things, unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part doing its share. Are you responsive? Are you connected to the body and responding to all Christ is doing? 
big, big reasons. He says, I know your works, Christ said. What are yours? What are yours? You have a part in a work now. Every, each person here does in supporting the work that Christ is doing. Roman numeral number three. Roman numeral three. Before I, I ask the question, why am I here? Well, probably the same reasons as you are. Some of the big reasons, not the only ones. God drew me, and he worked with me patiently. A piece of work. It took a while. But he had to work with me, and I've always appreciated his patience with me. It makes me want to be patient with other people as well. You know, I believed the gospel of the kingdom of God. I believed that. That was one of the things he brought me to. And I'm seeking it first, I hope, in every aspect of my life. Acts 2, 37 and 38, we read that a little earlier. I did that. I repented of my sins, repented of what I was doing. It wasn't exactly easy in those days for me. I was baptized. I received the Holy Spirit by the laying out of hands of one of God's true ministers. So did you. I love God's way of life, and I like it so much, I'd like to live that way forever. I would love to live in God's way of life forever. It's wonderful. It's good. I like it. So I want to hang in there. You know, I sometimes say, uh, I hear people ask, well, just how much of God's law do you think you have to keep? If you say that to me, you're sticking your chin out. Like, Here's what I, the real question is, how much of God's law can I keep? How much of this law can I keep? And looking in here, I want to find it. Oh, I can do this. I, this is what God really intended. Look, here's God's mind and spirit in this law. I can incorporate that in, in my life. You know, how can I um, um, keep the commandments? How can I love one another? How can I uh, honor God's name and keep it holy? All of these things. How can I sanctify the Sabbath? How can I do that? What are some more ways that I can do that? We love God's law. We want to live that way forever. You know, I came into the church, um, was baptized in 1976. At the time I did that, uh, um, well, that was up until that time. I had been a, a vice president of a New York Stock Exchange company, and it was not easy. <laughs> Let's just say it was complicated. It was difficult to work around that environment. And I, I left that company and um, had to make a major change in my career around that time. I was made a deacon in 1983 and an elder in 1988 and ordained a pastor more recently. I now serve here at headquarters as director of business operations. I serve there. I serve a number of different departments in God's work. I'm glad to do it. I'm very happy to be doing that. You know, in the late 80s, I began to see significant changes taking place in the church. And after it became apparent that what was happening in the early 90s was just, it was really terrible, I was in touch with what was then the Global Church of God. I began to tithe there, but I stayed around a while to support the brethren. I wasn't allowed to speak, wasn't allowed to give sermonettes, couldn't give a sermon. It, one time, though, one time, was, I guess they were embarrassed. They said, well, why don't we let Wakefield do song service? They, guess what I led off with? I know you know. Oh, Allah, by thy law. <laughs> that was the last time I ever stood behind a podium in that organization. I got into trouble a few times, but I was never put out. I always wondered maybe if I should have been. But uh, later on, years later, I'd always been a little worried about that, frankly. I, I'm sorry, I was. So I, there was a lady that I knew whose sister or cousin, I think, lived in the West Palm Beach area where I lived. And, you know, she said, you know, I was talking to my, I guess it was her sister, who's still in our former association. And she said, she always refers to you as that Mr. Wakefield. 
that Mr. Wakefield and that Mr. Wakefield. After all those years, I said, oh, what did I do this time? What did I, how did I offend that lady? What was it? And I became that Mr. Wakefield. And she said, well, she, she blames you for the fact that so few people uh, went for the changes in the West Palm Beach Church. And I said, really? That's <laughs> That was one of the most flattering things I have ever heard. <laughs> well, I'd been in touch with the ministers who were forming another group, but in their words, they were all over the map doctrinally. And I knew that Dr. Meredith was steadfast in adherence to God's truth and the work. You know, he got started up, it was within 60 days, and they put pocket change and credit card balances and got on the air somewhere. They started a work right away, top priority. They didn't wait years to get around to it, and they kept the truth of God. I was looking for the truth and the work. It is not complicated, brethren. It doesn't have to be a big complicated thing. I was focused on those two things, looking for the truth and the work, because I knew that it would be where God's people were and where Christ would be working. We need to remember that. Just before Passover, 2005, after prayer and fasting, um, I called, uh, actually, Mr. Raymond McNair, who I knew personally, and told him we'd like to join the congregation, the Global Church of God. No conditions. I didn't give him any conditions at all. You know, one time, Marcia and I were discussing something someone had said. They had chosen a particular fellowship because so many of their friends were there. And, you know, we realized that uh, we never asked ourselves whether we could get along socially with our local group there. We asked, could we serve? Did the truth and the work there? And we, uh, it was important. We had friends there. Some of you are, were in that group uh, at that time. I never asked or insisted that I be able to give sermons. I didn't ask if I could be a leader. I had no conditions. I told them, quote, I will do as little or as much as they need it. The church asked me to consider becoming a church pastor. Um, went on for several years. It took some work. <laughs> but I had to wind up my business and get rid of my licenses and so forth. And um, so why am I here then? Why am I here? Well, in addition to the basic reasons that I mentioned before, the truth and the work. It is not complicated for me. Not complicated. I don't think it should be complicated for other people as well. And of course, to serve you and the work as Christ leads me to, your spiritual well-being is my priority as it is for all the ministry here. We are here to serve. We're here to serve God's people. So why are you here? Why are you here? Why will you stay here? Hopefully for a lot of good reasons. But if you've been here for a weak reason, then maybe that reason could be taken away from you. And then where would you be? We need to think about what our real reasons are. What is our top priority? What's important to us? What is important to God? What does he want to see in us? Let's consider some good primary reasons for being here. And I hope that your primary reasons will be like these, in addition to the ones in Acts 2 that we read earlier. And, of course, the commandments. A deep commitment to God's truth. We've got it. We've got it. We have the whole counsel of God. It was given here in God's Word, and we understand it. It's being taught every week. It's taught in all of our materials. Let's contend for the faith once delivered. It's important. It is crucial. We have to overcome using that truth. We have the whole counsel of God. Contend earnestly for it. Hold on to it. Second, a deep commitment to God's work. Christ said, to the, all the churches, all seven of them, he said, I know your works. He knows your work. He knows mine. What 
works does he know about you? What are your works? What does he know there? What are yours? And, of course, a full loving commitment to our relationships here, accompanied by a deep feeling led by God's Spirit that this is the right place to be, love for one another, support for one another, encouragement for the brethren. We are all called and chosen, brethren, all called and chosen, but we must be faithful as well. We must be faithful. So stay with the truth and stay with the work. And God will bring us through all the times to come and into his kingdom and family.